What is it about diamonds that are so special? They are exquisite, they are excellent, they're permanent. If someone has a fire in their house, they usually say, grab the valuables and that would include the diamonds. There's a phrase that says, blank is a girl's best friend. It's not chocolate, although that might be a close one. Or money or shopping, it is a diamond. A diamond. Our scripture text this morning that we're going to take a look at is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. It's on page 1020. If you want to turn there, you can. And how that connects to diamonds is a thought. I'm going to go back to one slide. It's from a Scottish Bible scholar by the name of Dr. James Moffat who made this comment, and I've been thinking about this all week, to comment adequately upon these verses, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 21, diamond drops would be the outline of a history of the Christian experience in the highest forms, diamond drops. That's how he describes these verses. And as we look at the, our text this morning for this Thanksgiving service, this diamond of Thanksgiving is one that we're going to take a look at. And as good diamonds are, they're usually put in a setting, right? Set the stone just right. And in these verses, as we look at one particular diamond, the diamond of thanksgiving, we're going to look at all of the other setting stones around this diamond of thanksgiving. And within the diamond itself makes a pretty bold statement, a bold statement that if we were just having coffee and you would look at me and say, how in the world are we supposed to give thanks in all circumstances? Do you know what my world is like? Do you know what our world is like? We'll take a look at that. And finally, within the diamond itself, just like a good diamond is, and you know, in movies they, they put that black thing, I think it's called just a black thing. It's probably got a more technical, but you know what I'm talking about. They look at the diamond and they, they turn it around to make sure it's authentic. Within the diamond of thanksgiving, there is tucked in this diamond, not a what, but a who. And it's a clue, it's a wink of the person of Christ. Now, let's just understand this before we take a look at the diamond of thanksgiving about the book of Thessalonians. The bigger setting for the book of Thessalonians is talking about Jesus' next visit, his second visit, if you will. The whole theme for the book of Thessalonians is about the return of Christ, and because he's returning, this book's theme is about instructions in light of Jesus's coming again. That's what the theme is about in the book of Thessalonians. It's about instructions. And in an English Bible, at least the Pew Bibles, you can see what the subheading says. It says, final instructions. And then, the English Bible uses, and, and of course this is just in our English, but it, it breaks down. You'll, you'll notice that there's a separate paragraph for verses 16 through 18, and then verses 19 through 21. And in an overview setting, it kind of looks this way. The first three verses are what community conduct looks like. What does that mean? Community conduct. This is what should take place when a group of Christians gather together. Oh, that's what Christians do. That's how Christians act. First three verses. The next four verses are those 
behaviors or things that are unbecoming of the conduct of a follower of Christ. First three, community conduct. Next four, conduct that you say, no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. As we look at the diamond, I invite you to read along with me this passage of Scripture. If you would join me, let's read God's Word together. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Conduct for a community. Now, let's look at the four verses that say, this is not becoming. Next verses. Let's read them out loud. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. You'll notice I put an asterisk by the word test. Why, why do I do that? Well, Jesus' good friend John writes the Gospel of John, and then 1, 2, 3 John writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Don't believe all people who say they have the Spirit. Instead, test them. Pastor Kirk, what does the word test mean? What's John and Paul trying to get at? To test, listen, means to demonstrate what is good. To demonstrate what is good. The word test does not focus on disproving something or showing it bad. It's to say, does it point us to good? So, how can we discern? How can we test sermons, narratives, scripts, teaching? There is so much. I mean, I hear all the time people will say, I watch this person online. And oftentimes I'll say, ooh, they're way better than me. <laughs> so how do you test? How can you square something up that you hear? Because this is what it says. Don't take, don't blow all the prophetic teaching off. How do you know what's good and what's bad? Well, these are three things that are, uh, hopefully are helpful. And they all start with W. And it's oversimplified, but it, at least it's a starting point. And I'd have you just wrestle with these. First, the first teaching if you hear a teaching, a prophetic word, or a narrative, or a script, or something that says this is true, this is true, compare it to the Word. Test it against the Word. Does it square up to the Word? God's Word. Now, you may say something like, I don't know the Bible that well. Well, let me spend some Christmas money for you, okay? This is a Bible that my wife gave me about 12 years ago now. It's the ESV Study Bible. If you are wanting to grow in Understanding God's Word, score this. Buy this at Christmas. Put this on your Christmas list. It's the ESV Study Bible. It is like a howitzer. It is incredibly loaded. It's got cross-references. It's got some comments on the bottom. It's got charts and graphs. And you can test God's Word with it. You can cross-reference. And so when you hear something, how does that square up with the rest of the Word of God? The second W is this, the witness. How does this square up to the witness and the character and the attributes of God? And listen, write this down. Write this down. Is what you're hearing beautiful, 
good and true, all three. Is it good, is it beautiful, and is it true? Where do you get that? We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When it's the love chapter, is what you're hearing beautiful, good, and true? And finally, the last W is this, is it wise? Is it wise? What you hear in a prophetic word or in a sermon or in a teaching, how does that square up to what you know about Jesus? Would Jesus do that? Let me give you a quick example. When I was in high school, our uh, youth pastor, as we were young men, just said, gentlemen, I'd like to encourage you that when you go on a date with a girl, you start your date by praying and tell your girl that you're dating. Jesus is in the back seat. I did that. Long before I met Julie, okay, long before I met Julie, just a disclaimer there, I took out Miss Richfield in Richfield, Minnesota. She was quite cute, let me say that. <laughs> and I said, before we leave, I'd like to pray because I invited Jesus in the back seat. And she turned around and went, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay, that's an overview, so let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 22, starts with this, rejoice always. Notice the words that are circled. If you have your Bible, you can circle these words. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And those words put an emphasis on the whole picture of what God is doing. The whole picture, but made up of pieces and parts, one by one by one. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if you're sitting here and you're thinking, this seems really weird. This verse seems really, really weird. Do you know what's going on in my world? And there are all kinds of individual worlds that are going on here. Do you know the relational stuff that we're going through in my family? Do you know what's going on in my job? Do you know what's going on in my health? Do you know what's going on with my finances? Do you know what's going on with my fill in the blank? How can I rejoice always, pray continually in all circumstances? How can I do that? Do you know what's going on in my world? And what about our world, you would say? If we were having coffee, you would say, what's going on with our world? I mean, inflation, <laughs> political mess, <laughs> Social dynamics? We got war? What's going on in our world? How can you rejoice in all circumstances? All circumstances? That's your diamond, Pastor? We're having coffee. And I would say, you're absolutely right. All those things are true. So let me explain. And, and I, I would push across a napkin, and I would have you draw two circles. I would say, draw one circle and then draw another circle, but make them intersect. And right in the middle of that intersection, put a cross. You might look at me and say, well, that's interesting. I didn't come up with this. There was a German reformer by the name of Martin Luther who lived in the 1500s, and he gave to the church, gave to God's people a lens called two kingdoms. He said, there's a kingdom that we're all a part of. It's a kingdom here on earth. It's a kingdom that you can see. It's a kingdom that you can see rulers and structures and 
governments and sometimes flags, you can see that. It's called the visible kingdom. But it's not permanent. It's not ultimate. There's another kingdom that's invisible. It's the kingdom that Jesus talked about. It's the kingdom that said the, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the kingdom that Jesus talked about in the greatest sermon, the Beatitudes. And where you and I live intersects both. One is not ultimate and one is not pretend. You live in both kingdoms. But then I would slip, I invite you to say, why don't you turn that napkin over and draw another circle. Draw a small circle this time. And then around that smaller circle, put a bigger circle. Then you would say, Pastor Kirk, what, what does that mean? Well, I would say this is what it means. It means this is my father's world. Maltby Badcock, the New York pastor, wrote, This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. I rest in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas. He heals the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. I would encourage you and say this, these words. How do we rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances? Because our Father holds our world. Our Father holds his world. God loves us, and his hand is under us. On the backside of your bulletin, I put a, uh, some scriptures. On my sabbatical, I had the opportunity to go through some uh, different tools that I've had over the years that were in my notes. And I came across 40 things who our Heavenly Father is, character and attributes. And it's been a discipline for me for the last couple months just to go through these and take a few of them a day and just ponder them. And his character and attributes are true and they spill onto me. My suggestion for you my encouragement for you is this. Take just four of them and then just let them marinate and simmer in your soul. Just take four of them. A shield and a lifter of my head, my strength, my deliverer, my redeemer, my shepherd, and the list goes on. If you're listening to this online or watching us online, you can go to our website. You can download all of these. But these might be the testimonies that you bear witness to. These might be the ones that you say, this is true. This is true. The one that grips me is God alone. Notice that each of them are connected to Psalms. Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Psalms are the intimate, inside look at who Jesus is and a man's relationship with Jesus. And Christ is in the Psalms. The one, as I said, is God alone. And what struck me about that is he is God alone and he does not leave me alone. He is God alone and he does not leave me alone. And so in all circumstances, these things are true. These things are true. My circumstances change, but he doesn't. My circumstances are present, but these attributes and character 
of who God is, these are permanent. They'll be true for this generation and the next generation and the next and into eternity. Thankful in all circumstances, these things are true. And finally this, as we look at this diamond, as we look at it, we have to understand that tucked in to this thanksgiving is a wink at Jesus. Don't miss it. Colossians 2 verse 7 is a horticulture verse. Do you know that it was just like nine days ago, nine days ago, that it was like 70 out? Thanks, Pastor Kirk. I appreciate that. It was a Thursday. I know it because I had a friend who was gracious enough from church to come over and help me with the project and I thought it was a simple project, but we ended up lay, laying some PVC piping for, our, for a drain in my house. And so we, ditch, we dug the ditch, and I'm on my hands and knees, and we're laughing, and we're talking. And we brought it all the way out to a tree, and we were hacking away some of the roots. And the guy looked at me and goes, whoa, these roots are really strong, aren't they? And, and, and this verse, Colossians 2.7, is a get-your-hands-dirty verse find your work gloves verse. It's a horticulture verse. It talks about roots. There's a danger to roots. Tim Keller, the New York pastor, who's just a prolific author, brilliant man, said this, hidden roots work in hidden ways. Unless you dig around to find them, you may never see them until they have sprouted and you have done or said something cruel that shocks you. If you don't deal with your wrath through forgiveness, Wrath can make you a wraith, turning you slowly but surely into a restless spirit, into someone who is controlled by the past, someone who is haunted. Wow. Lord, have mercy. Do your surgical work in my heart. Show me those roots. The writer for the book... Of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says this in this verse, this horticulture verse. It says, sink your roots in him who is that Jesus. Build on him who is the him that's Jesus. Be strengthened by the faith that you were taught. And this is where we look at the, ver the diamond. Look at this diamond. Strengthened by the faith that you were taught and overflow with thanksgiving. Now we're going to get technical and we're going to look at this diamond of thanksgiving and kind of click in on it. The word overflow is a perfect word for thanksgiving. It means abounding. It means exceeding expectations. It means more than abundant. It means on Thursday, I'm full. Thank you very much. I can't eat anymore. Get it? Abounding. More than enough. It's a verb. But when it moves from a verb, the overflow, into a noun, the noun means preeminence or advantage. That's what overflow means in this diamond. And when it talks about preeminence or advantage, it's not a what, it's a who. It's a who. Who left glory? Who left honor? Who left, pro who left 
a position of authority. Jesus did. You may say that's a stretch. If you go to the next word, thanksgiving, the literal word for this diamond of thanksgiving is eucharista. Eucharista. What does that sound like? It sounds like Eucharist. Well, that's a Catholic thing. No, that's a Bible thing. Right in the middle of Thanksgiving is the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. Friend in Christ, sister in Christ, brother in Christ. When we have thanksgiving in our hearts, we acknowledge grace is already at the table. Amen? We never graduate from the gospel. It is the wonder of who Christ is. It is the diamond of who Christ is. These 20 things are the attributes of the Heavenly Father. We could list 20 more and 20 more and 20 more and 20 more. And again and again and again and again and again, we boast of who Christ is, the one who is at the table. So when someone says, will you say grace at Thanksgiving? You can chuckle and say, Grace is already here. One of my favorite quotes, and I've shared this before, comes from G.K. Chesterton. He's one of my mentors. He's dead. He's in heaven. He said this, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Let me read that again. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought, and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Let me pray, and then we're going to testify. This prayer comes from our friend Scotty Smith. Many of us enjoy his everyday prayers. This is his prayer for Thanksgiving, and I thought it was absolutely fabulous. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise and bless you and worship you today for the incalculable ways you demonstrate your love and care for us. On Thanksgiving, we stop and we give you thanks for the many benefits that are ours, and through your sovereign grace, inexhaustible mercy, and boundless generosity, we are grateful for the forgiveness of all sins, not just the sins up to the beginning of our life in Christ, not just the sins we acknowledge and confess, not just the sins we grieve, and offer restitution, not just 4% of the sins we're actually aware of. No, you forgive us of all of our sins, past and present and future, through the work of Jesus. Alleluia for such lavish love. We are grateful for the healing of all our diseases. Father, it will take the second coming of Jesus to complete, but you could secured our complete healing of mind, body, and spirit. The gospel is that big, the gospel is that good. The gospel is that comprehensive. And one day, we will dance and serve in the new heaven and the new earth, loving you with all our glorified heart, soul, mind, and strength. Alleluia for such a living hope. And We praise you for the redeeming of our lives from various pits. Father, through the gospel, you have rescued us from all kinds of pits, the pit of eternal separation from you, the pit of our foolish designing and digging, the pits we have fallen into a broken world, even the pits into which others have pushed us. Alleluia for your all-redeeming grace. And finally, we are grateful 
for the satisfaction of our desire with good things, a fountain of pleasures and sources of true delights. Father, you gave us deep longings and have hardwired us for wonder. You created our taste buds, auditory capacity, and nerve endings. You gave us a sense of smell and passion to see. You designed us to come alive to the good, true, and beautiful. And by your grace, you intend to satisfy every aspect of our being with yourself and with a myriad of good gifts in this life and the life to come. So, Father, we shout with gratitude on this Thanksgiving day. Alleluia. What a Savior Jesus is. What salvation you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' peerless name. Amen.